Welcome to the Geek Speak Show. <laughs> People who get it, get it. This is the Geek Speak Show. Interviews with the movers and shakers in geek culture. This is Mark Zickby, writer, producer, and director of Space Command. Hey, this is Todd McFarlane, creator of Spawn, and one of the original founders of Image Comics. Hi, I'm Chris Hardwick. God bless the geek. They're listening. You're consuming. You're watching with your ears. Oh, you just listen. The Geek Speak Show is powered by GeekTyrant.com, GameTyrant.com, MightyVille.com, Ramascreen.com, and Zergnet.com. Please make a note of it. Here are the hosts of The Geek Speak Show, Henry San Miguel and Mark Doris. Here we are for another exciting episode, we hope, at least of The Geek Speak Show. Welcome, everybody. I think, hey, Mark, there's a big movie coming out this weekend? That there is. There is. Something to do with the guy that flies, comic book or something? He can jump over buildings, and I I don't know, he can run faster than a speeding bullet or something like that. In a single bound, and there's no con anywhere inside. Man of Steel comes out this... Yes, I'm not over it yet. Man of Steel comes out this weekend. We're all ready for it. Uh, I I haven't seen this one. I know I revealed I did get to see Star Trek Into Darkness a little bit earlier and wasn't very happy with it. But with this one, I haven't seen anything, and that's fine. I do want to go into this one knowing as little as possible so that I can go in there and get my mind blown when Zack Snyder, with help some, from some help from Christopher Nolan, finally gets it right. So we figured, why not talk Man of Steel, Superman, because it's on everybody's minds and words and you know, every, in your cubicle, everything you're talking. Superman, Superman, when are you going? Let's talk not about Superman. We all know and love him. How about the people who created him? Siegel, Schuster. There, and what better way to do it than through a comic book? There is a comic book, um, a version, a comic book version of their origin, not the Superman origin, but the or the real origin of Superman. On to talk about it is the person who wrote it, John Judy. Is his name John? Welcome to the Geek Speak Show. Why? Well, thank you very much for having me. Thanks and for I, coming. I hope you appreciate it. I got to say, by the way. Oh, very much uh, so. Because I did a comic, and I'm not going to talk about it because we're going to talk Superman. And you're right, we should talk Superman. 75th anniversary movie coming out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Got to focus. Focus. I'm going to stay focused. But I did a book for uh, that got published by Arcana, uh-huh. and uh, I fired off an email to you guys begging to be a part of the show and never heard back from you. I wept. I took extensive counseling sessions. Uh, I think I finally put my life back together again. And then just like that ex that comes creeping back, emailing you at 3 o'clock in the morning, 10 years later, you hear, I just hear from you out of nowhere. Um, it was actually I'm two o'clock in the morning. Get over it. No, it was actually two o'clock in the morning. Time difference. But now that's you true. all know yeah. why that producer is no longer here. That's all <laughs> oh, I'll say. Okay. I was I was wondering. I didn't want to ask, but you know. Yeah, that I'll handle why, the producer duties for now. No, but but that's why. No, and I, I am glad you you are here. And actually, pretty timely because, like I said, Man of Steel comes out this weekend. Now, the, this book has no, is not tied into the movie in any way, no, other okay, than no. yeah, it mentions Superman. And uh, Superman also is is it's not really about Superman. Like I said, it's about his creators, uh, Siegel and, 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 and. Well, why am I trying to explain it? You you wrote it. You go ahead and tell everybody what what it's all about. Well, it's, uh, what, 24 pages? I think that's what they gave me. 24 pages as, as best uh, I could do in 24 pages of, of compressing the life of Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster, the, the two lifelong friends who, as teenagers, created Superman. Um, and um, I approached it very much as the way I describe it as a, as a, uh, I described it as a love letter, a love letter to uh, the creators of a character that's 
uh, for as long as I can remember, been a, an integral part of my life and a central part of my life. Um, so that I, my hope, anyway, is that that comes across and that people who I, I have shown it to um, a few people um, saw the script. Uh, I haven't actually seen the fin finished product myself. I've seen a couple of pages of the art. A few people have seen the script, people who I, I generally uh, respect and respect their opinions. And, and, and they tell me, and of course, they can be blowing smoke up. You know, I, I, keep, I really don't know the standards. I almost said where they were blowing smoke up. But they can be blowing smoke up somewhere. Let's just say that. And, and they seem to feel like, yeah, that comes across. And it reads like, here's a fan writing something for other fans to say, hey, weren't, didn't these guys do something really great? And John, John, this is Mark. I've, I've got a question about Well, that. wait, so before this, you guys sure. continue, let, let me jump in. Let me let you guys know you can blow whatever you want, wherever you want. <laughs> no one's telling us what we can or can't say. So there you go. Go ahead. Oh, hey, that is so good to know. Because the moment I heard you do that voice in the pre the pre interview that in the world, I wanted to blow something so bad. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for sharing, John. Uh, again, this is Mark. I uh, just a quick question. This this sort of style of writing is a little bit new to me, and I, I like the idea a lot of taking you know Siegel and Schuster, and then a comic book about them developing Superman, which is arguably one of the most you know uh, iconic characters of any type of. Well, anything beyond beyond comics, yeah. beyond books, beyond movies and whatnot. As a fan of Siegel and Schuster, is that where the inspiration came to write or create like such a story uh, in a in a comic book format? Well, I mean, in this specific instance, it actually came from um, Darren Darren uh, Davis, the the owner of Blue Water. Um, I've written some stuff in the past for them, and I, I don't know. You know, Blue Water is a little bit below a lot of people's radars. Um, and a lot of people choose to keep them off their radar. And so I don't know what you guys think. But they're very um, – everybody has a blue water opinion, I guess. And so I don't want to be – I'm trying to tiptoe around here, but I'll go ahead and say it. Some people really hate blue water. Um, I don't know where you guys are at on that, and I'm not you know, asking you to take one side or the other. But I'd written for we're some lovers, stuff We're for, lovers. We're not haters, John, so no, no worries. Okay. We are lovers of all things. Well, excellent. Well, good. I'm glad to hear it, uh, <laughs> mainly because I have very low standards, so I love everything too. Uh, uh, <laughs> Blue Water, I'd written some stuff for Blue Water in the past because um, they're one of the few companies that are really accessible to newbies and will we'll talk to anybody. Um, and, of course, there's a lot of reasons for why they'll, they're accessible to newbies, and we won't go there well, until you ask about it. You, I'll answer anything you ask me. Uh, but so I'd written some things in the past for them, including a bio of Jack Kirby. Now, that one, I can say, because I did actually see that one. I, that one, I have the actual printed copies. I loved it. I was very proud of how that turned out. Really happy with that one. Um, the Superman, the Siegel and Schuster, I can only speak to the script. I was happy with the script. I, I hope the final product turned out well. Um, but uh, Darren sent me an email one day out of nowhere. said, hey, would you like to do the same thing only for Siegel and Schuster? And as I said, I mean, Superman has been a central part of my life for really as long as I can remember. And so that was... Yeah, a no-brainer that I wanted to do that and to be a part of that. Now, you said before that you have or have not seen any part of the uh, finished project. Like, I, I've got a couple of snippets from the pages here. Maybe you've seen these, just like a couple of art pieces of art with uh, with some words and whatnot that you'd find in the in the comic book, the 24 pages that you have. Have you seen any of that already or no? No. I've seen two uncolored, unlettered pages. Okay. And they look, they look fine, but of course, it's kind of hard to judge that, you know, the whole thing out of that. But what I saw looked fine. Yeah, no, it's actually it's really good. It's it's more than fun. It's 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 actually really really good. Henry sent this to me. I want to say last night slash this morning, I guess, uh, probably the same time you got that that call at two o'clock in the morning, whatever. Um, and so I got a chance to look at it. It was really good. It 
I like the idea of a comic book that talks about the history because, I mean, there are diehard fans that will want to know about Siegel and Schuster, but the like there is a certain demographic that probably wouldn't want to get into the history of that as they find that not so much interesting as you know the character they've created, which in this case is Superman. But by creating a comic book and giving that in the hands of the people who love Superman so much, I think it's a great way to talk about the history of the character through the perspectives of Siegel and Schuster in the form of a comic book. I think it's brilliant. I think it's a great idea. I love it. Well, thanks. I, I, that's encouraging. I'm, I'm glad that what you saw looks good. I hope that's a good indication. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, like I said, I came from a place of love. And, and so when Darren said, hey, how would you like to do this one? I mean, I was all over that. Um, it, it's sort of like – it's sort of – well, I'll go ahead and say, you know, like Blue Water, as far as I know, as far as I know, and I'm not sitting there looking over their shoulders at their books or anything. As far as I know, Blue Water doesn't pay any of their creators unless – achieve a certain threshold. I know that's what's my contract with them in terms of sales. And that threshold is basically not going to happen. So mm-hmm. you know going into a deal with Blue Water that you're not going to see a dime. And what you hope then is that the physical product, the actual book, turns out to be pretty good and you can take it to conventions and sell it. Um, and then furthermore, you have something to sort of show people and say, look, I did this and maybe it will lead to something else. Point being that if you're going to do something for Blue Water, you got to really want to do it because you're not getting anything else for it. Um, you know, so when Darren said to me, "How would you like to, you know, do a biography comic?" I pitched him Jack Kirby. He said, "Sure, go for it." That was like a no-brainer. Like I love Jack Kirby. This will be awesome. Then when Darren came back to me and said, "How would you like to do Siegel and Schuster?" Again, no-brainer. So it was done purely out of love and joy and appreciation, and I hope the final product that comes through and that people get that experience. I'm glad what you saw seems to reflect that. And again, people have seen the script tell me it reflects that. I, I really haven't seen the art, so I hope the whole package does as well. You know, in other words, Blue Water gave you the same speech that I gave Mark and Rachel and everybody that's come on the show. If you really love what you're doing, go ahead and come do it, but you're not really going to get paid for it. Yeah, yeah. Although I don't know the ins and outs of the podcasting business. I assume you're not generating huge amounts of, of obscene revenue over there. Not, um, not obscene, no. Yeah. Yet. Not obscene. Right. PG-13, maybe. Yeah. Um, so I maybe don't know, G. again, I, I, same thing. I don't know the ins and outs of Blue Water's business model and what they're making. Um, but they've been around for several years, so I assume somebody's making something off of it. It just doesn't seem to be the creators. And, and that sounds like I'm slamming them or trying to detract from them, and I'm not, because nobody ever promised anybody anything either. You know what I mean? I mean, they, they told me, look, here's what we're doing. Um, but I did find a certain irony there, because one of the things that I, I sort of make the central framing theme of the Siegel & Schuster bio is the fact that Siegel & Schuster really got a raw deal on Superman. Um, they ended up selling the character for, I forget the exact total, but it was around $130. Oh, God. And Yeah. And they didn't really, by all indication, because they fought in courts for years trying to get, get some of these rights back, by all indication, they didn't really know what they were getting into. They were a couple of comics fans that wanted to make comics. I mean, that's it. Their dream had always been to do comic strips because when they grew up, that's what there was. But regardless, they saw this as, you know, somebody's going to give us money to do comics. That's great. Let's do it. And so they sold the initial character, you know, the, the initial story for around $130. And then they stayed on as the writer and the artist for several years and basically directed the character. And they made a good amount of money for the time, but nothing compared to what um, national publications, the predecessor of DC Comics, nothing compared to what they made, um, you know, completely uh, screwed over in that regard. 
and and so then when they fought back, they ended up losing altogether. And and really, much of their life story is really very sad. Um, they created this character that's made so many people so very happy, and yet for many many years, um, Jerry Siegel didn't would never even he would refuse to talk about Superman. He it just made him too emotional. Um, to think about this character and what it had meant to him. And, and, you know, they created them as boys. And you think about these two fanboys, and they really were like original fanboys, like they created a science fiction fanzine. They were, they were right there at the beginning of fandom. These two fanboys, and they just wanted to get paid to make comics. And then they just wanted to own and retain what they did. And instead, they spent decades in, in just struggling, I mean, really uh, near poverty level life that they were living. Uh, Joe Schuster at one point took to drawing um, uh, illustrations to accompany pornographic novels. Yeah, I remember um, that. Bondage and S and M stuff, and it's and it, the characters all look like Superman and Lois Lane, which is really disturbing. <laughs> uh, it's really freaky, but I just think there's a, something kind of poetic in you know creating this story about these fanboys that just desperately wanted to make comics and and allow themselves wittingly or unwittingly to be exploited in order to do that. And then the people writing and drawing it are fanboys who desperately want to make comics and are wittingly or unwittingly allowing themselves to be exploited to do that. I don't know. I think there's a certain irony there. Um, but I, I didn't, you know, try to, I didn't try to uh, prioritize that in the storytelling. Uh, the stories about Siegel and Schuster, I just was kind of bemused, I guess, by my own participation in the creation of the story. Yep. Okay. We're talking to John Judy. He's the writer of uh, the Siegel and Schubert, the creative Superman story. You can actually find that in Orbit. It's, I guess it's a collection from uh, from Blue Water, and it, it, the story is in there. Uh, but I was going to ask you, John, did, what, what exactly, what do you cover from, from the, because it's a long story from the Siegel and Schubert, but what, what, what exactly do you cover in the story? Well, uh, I could do the, the Hollywood version. We opened with the, the, the spaceship crashing in Kansas, which actually is how I opened. Do I need to do the um, voice again? I opened on uh, the 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 uh, we opened on a spaceship crashing in a cornfield in Kansas, um, but no. In terms of what actual events of their life are covered, because it's a bit of a fractured narrative, I, I move back and forth a little bit, um, and I, I sort of use the the Superman as a framing device. But anyway, um, in terms of what's actually covered, really, I start with their lives um, in Cleveland, Ohio. They met as teenagers. Uh, they went to the same high school. Um, and, and were right away fast friends. And, and from the time they met in high school to the time they died, they never lived more than a few blocks from each other. Well, let me ask something uh, about that. I, I was reading a little bit more about Siegel, just know, in, in preparation for, for this interview here. And one of the things that, that I got to see is that Joe had said uh, essentially that he wanted to create a character that stood for justice, truth, honesty, and whatnot. And something that that I came across that I found very interesting is that um, Siegel's father, Mitchell Siegel, died of a heart mm-hmm. attack during a robbery um, when Siegel was in junior high school. And I just got to thinking, is it likely, and maybe you talk about this in the comic, that Siegel created uh, a, an image of a character that would you know, be able to yeah. provide justice like a, in his own mind in regards to this exact incident? Like it's a tragedy. Yeah, like a wish yeah, like a wish fulfillment of a, of a character who could have been there to prevent this happening to his father. Yeah, um, I, you want to be. I mean, I don't remember ever coming across an actual quote or any documentation where Siegel actually confirmed that. But I mean, come on, it's an obvious type of conclusion to jump to. 
And certainly that was how I presented it in the, in the book. I think what I said was maybe he was inspired by. Um, because, yeah, I mean, you create the really the, the prototype superhero. I mean, there were other superpowered costumed adventurers in, in comics and in prose fiction well before Superman, but, but really the character that put it all together. So basically the first superhero, you create the first superhero and your dad is murdered in a, a store robbery. Um, yeah, I mean, come on, it, it's not a big leap to say, I bet one caused the other. Yeah, and yeah, I bet that was something on his mind, a bit of a wish fulfillment, a sort of a Quentin Tarantino, Inglorious Bastards type of, wouldn't it have been cool if this happened instead? Yeah, no, that's, that's a good way of looking at that. That was exactly what I thought. I just, I don't know, I thought it was really fascinating how, you know, the idea is two two kids, high school, you know, they they both come from little to nothing, you know, if anything at all, and they create an icon that turns into one of the biggest franchises of all time. But I thought it was extremely fascinating to know that Siegel had some history with the development of the character, potentially coming from, you know, a tragedy in his own life. That was really brilliant. I liked that. It was a touching moment for me, John. Oh, well, I, I don't know if you're, you were saying that it was a touching moment in the book for you, but thank you if you were. And if you weren't, <laughs> I'll pretend you were. So thank you. Or if you just mean that the reality of it is touching, because you're right, the reality of it is touching. Um, you know, it's kind of hard not to make a touching moment out of that when that's what you have to work with. Uh, it really is very sweet and sad. Um, but you, you hit on something else there, too. Both of the guys came from little to nothing. Um, Siegel, his dad actually owned a store, uh, a business, and so they weren't hurting. They had a middle-class existence, um, but they certainly weren't wealthy. Joe Schuster came from poverty. His family had very little, very poor. But either way, they both were living through the, the Depression. And um, that was something that was... Um, that was that, and Siegel did confirm this. That was key in the creation of Superman was they were responding to all the injustice around them, and sort of saying, "It ought to be different. It shouldn't be like this." And the early Siegel and Schuster stories, and I don't know, you know, if your listeners haven't read any early Siegel and Schuster stories, they they should. Um, if for no other reason than if you're going to call yourself a geek, you should know where you came from. Respect your roots, damn it. Play a Nintendo and a Game Boy and read some Siegel and Schuster Superman. And there's no excuse. Like in my day, kids, the only way you could afford to read any Siegel and Schuster Superman stories is if you were to uh, have the money to spend on the old 80-page giants the DC used to do back in the 60s that would reprint some of them. And now they are widely collected in a range of affordable reprints from the Superman archives to the Action Comics archives to the Superman Chronicles to the black and white reprints that they do in the, the giant phone book format. Um, you can pick up all kinds of really affordable Siegel and Schuster stuff. And I'm not saying you're going to read it and it's going to blow your mind because it's great comics uh, work, great comics artwork that, you know, oh, my God, I thought Watchmen and Mouse were good, and now I understand this is what comics can be. No, let's be blunt. They're really crappy. Um, they're very crude. Nobody knew the rules. They were making them up as they went. And, and so the art is very simplistic, very crude, very poorly drawn. The stories are absurd, um, but they're charmingly absurd. And, and they're, they're fun, damn it. So yeah, you know, I, we have, I think we've had a lot of a lot of listeners that enjoy the the old schoolness of things, the golden age of cool. comics, old age of comics, you know, as opposed to some of the modern age. But they all get a lot of love from the the people that we have well, listening. But something that well, maybe we listeners... should talk about too is the name of the book. Is, is it is what exactly do you call it? Is it is it it's a an appendium? Is that right? Is that what I'm to understand? Is, I'm sorry. Is it what? In a is it's a collective works, right? It's not just like a single you know 24 age. Honestly. Trade I don't know how they it. put it out. 
I don't know how they put it out. I know that at one point Darren said they were going to do a collection of some of the bio stuff with the Jack Kirby and with, but I don't know how they ended up doing it. Um, good question. Let me see if I can find that out. Well, actually, from, from I, what I understand, I'm, it's in a book called Orbit, and the story is in, collected in there with some other ones, from from what I know. And, and Yeah, the, the book is called Orbit, but, I mean, he's done some individual Orbit releases as well. Yeah. So I don't know in this instance how he's doing that. Like Jack Kirby, that Orbit was done individually. Um, but it's a yeah, it's a series where, and I don't know who came up with that title, but yeah, every every installment is a a, a little short biography of somebody else, and generally there is some sort of geeky type of of theme connecting them. But some of them they're really stretching it, like Paul McCartney. I'm, I'm looking at it right now. They did Orbit Paul McCartney, and I don't know if you can really call, you know, the centerpiece of Beatlemania geeky. They were kind of the the epitome of mainstream. Although I guess Superman is anymore, isn't he? I mean, all geek culture has been sublimated, has been have been co-opted by those mainstream people that used to beat me up and take my lunch money. And me too. And I, I, I kid, I packed. But uh, they did beat me up. <laughs> um, and now, you know, they've, they've just taken all that over. Um, but I don't know how they're doing. Let's see. But anyway, yeah, it's called Orbit. Yeah. Well, you, you all can find out. I have a link on our link section. You guys can go on there and find out all about it. Order it if you want to. Uh, John Judy is the writer. He, he, you, you're welcome back anytime. Thanks for coming on. Before I do let you go, though, have to ask you, what do you hope to see this weekend in Man of Steel? Hmm. Good question. You know, for me, I hope I see something that, and, and I know this is kind of a vague phrase, but that gets Superman. Um, you know, the last effort at a Superman motion picture was largely flawed. I don't think it was as bad as a lot of people made it out to be, but there were certainly some major problems with it. Um, let's not even go into, was it really a good idea to do a Christopher Reeve sequel, you know, 30 years later, but things like Superman flying outside of Lois's home, using his x-ray vision and hearing to spy on her. Superman is not a super stalker. Um, that's just wrong. That doesn't get Superman. You know, Superman is a guy who puts himself last. And yeah, he might have missed Lois. He might have longed for Lois. He might have wished he and Lois were together, but he would not put those things together and say, ooh, I'm going to go stalk Lois. He would say, I miss Lois, but too bad. Oh, well, I lose because I come last and everybody else comes first because I'm Superman. Uh, somebody once said, and I don't remember who it was, that the key to understanding Superman is he could take over the world if he wanted to, and yet he doesn't. Right. And that's really the key. He's the ultimate awesome good guy. He, he loves everyone on this planet more than he loves himself. He is the ultimate Christ figure in a costume. I hope I see a movie that understands that and gets that. That's my number one wish. Yeah, well, you know, without spoiling Well, my I, number one I, wish for this movie, my number one wish involves money. Uh, <laughs> but my number one wish for this movie is that they get Superman. Yeah, I was gonna say without spoiling anything, I think from the trailers and everything else that's out there, I think that's kind of what Zack Snyder and Christopher Nolan are, are going for in this one. That, that, that he could take over if he wanted to, but he doesn't. So I hope, I, I certainly hope so. You yeah. know, and and it, yeah, like I said, you're right. The trailers look like it, but I've been hurt before. You know, uh, so I'm trying to keep my guard up and and, and go into this thing cynical, uh, going into it cynical and ready to be disappointed, so that hopefully I come out pleasantly surprised. 
Yeah, so John Judy, the writer of uh, Siegel and Schuster, the creator of Superman, it's in, we think, in orbit, uh, but you guys can go to Blue Water Productions, their website. It's on our links. It's all on there. What were you going to say, John? I I just found it is being done individually, but yeah, I I think Darren did say they were going to collect it as well, along with the Jack Kirby bio and some other bios I had nothing to do with, so they are nowhere near as good, but come on now. (laughs) The ones I did were awesome, and they're worth the price of admission alone. So there you go. John Judy, again, thanks a lot for coming on. You're welcome back anytime. Why, thank you both for having me. All right, take care, John. You too. The Geek Speak Show will be right back. Comics Commentary with Mark Doris on The Geek Speak Show. All right, guys, releases for June 12th. We have Marvel Universe Avengers Mightiest Heroes number 15, Alpha number 5, Wolverine Comic Reader number 2, Wolverine number 4, Venom number 36, Uncanny X-Force number 6, Ultimate Comics X-Men number 27, Thor God of Thunder number 9. In addition to that, we have Savage Wolverine number 6, Fantastic Four number 8, Deadpool number 11, Avenging Spider-Man number 22, Avengers Assemble number 16, Astonishing X-Men number 63, Guardians of the Galaxy number 3, and Wolverine and the X-Men number 31. I know for me right now, I'm trying to focus on the superior Spider-Man, the the arc that takes place of the primary amazing Spider-Man after, I want to say, 700 issues, so I'm going to get caught up on that myself. I think we had uh, issue number 11, I think, came out, was it last week, week before last week? Uh, Past couple weeks or so. I don't think we're going to see another issue issue for that series though until june but uh really excited to get my get my read on and as soon as we're done with this so i can get caught up with that but something else that i came across that was really interesting is that coming september we have marvel comic is going to be partnering with another big name the lego group now some of you guys have may have already seen some of the commercials or or whatnot the marvel characters are getting their own uh lego build sets okay so you're going to see characters like the avengers anywhere from hawkeye to hulk to iron man to thor they're all going to be in the form of legos but what i thought was really interesting is that at some point in september we're going to see a little over 20 issues that have variant covers of their Lego counterparts. So for example, in the all new X-Men number 17, it's very likely you're gonna see on the cover a Lego version of Wolverine. I'm gonna give you the list of all the comics uh, that they have uh, posted now that should have a Lego variant cover for those comics, and they are, as I just said, all new X-Men number 17, Avengers number 21, Avengers number four, Captain America number 12, Daredevil number 31, Fantastic Four number 13, Guardians of the Galaxy number seven, Hawkeye number 15, Indestructible Hulk, number 14, Infinity number 3, Iron Man number 17, Marvel Universe Avengers Assemble number 1, New Avengers number 11, Mighty Avengers number 1, Nova number 8, Superior Spider-Man number 19, Woo! Uh, Secret Avengers number 10, Thor, God of Thunder number 14, Wolverine and the X-Men number 36, Uncanny Avengers number 12, and X-Men number 5. You can also go to marvel.com if you want to see a sneak peek of what some of those uh, variant covers will look like. They're pretty neat. I'm a fan. I actually have some of the, the Lego pieces myself. I got a Deadpool, Magneto, Wolverine uh, helicopter set. You guys may have seen it at the uh, Lego store, you know, Toys R Us or whatever, but I bought one of those for like 20 bucks. Build that. I've got it on the shelf sitting right behind me, as a matter of fact. Um, Moving on, we're going to talk about DC. This week of the uh, New 52, it's the week of the 21s. Among that list is going to be Batgirl number 21, Batman 21, Demon Knights number 21, Green Lantern Corpse number 21, Nightweek 21, 
Su- Suicide Squad number 21 and Superboy number 21. Uh, also, we're going to be seeing Batman Arkham Unhinged number 15, Batman Lil Gotham number 3. That's Lil, L-I-L, not Little. So I don't know what they're doing abbreviating that there. But uh, Constantine number 4, Katana number 5, Masters of the Universe, The Origin of Hordak number 1. That's Hordak, not which you guys may have thought you have heard. Uh, Smallville season 11 number 14, which uh, those unaware, uh, 14 issues in thus far, is a uh, sequel to, I believe, what was it? The nine, I think it was like 10 seasons on the Smallville TV show. Anyway, so there's a, a comic book that takes place of the TV show that ended at season nine, season 10, or whatever. And this is season 11 that we're focusing on, 14 issues in, that continues that universe. So it's really interesting. I personally have not read it, but I read a bit of the synopsis and plot uh, online. Really exciting there. Um, Superman Unchained, number one. Threshold, number six. World's Finest, number 13. Amongst DC graphics novels, we have. Catwoman, Volume 2, No Easy Way Down, that's 25 bucks. Deathstroke, Volume 2, Lobo Hunt, $19.99. Resurrection Man, Volume 2, A Matter of Death and Life. It's collecting issues 8 to 12, plus Suicide Squad, number 9, for $15. Stormwatch, Volume 1, issues 37 to 47, another 20 bucks there. And Stormwatch, Volume 2, uh, features issues 48 and 49, as well as 1 through 11. But it will be concluding Warren Ellis's run on Stormwatch. So whether or not Stormwatch is done or if someone else is going to be picking up, we're going to have to find out. Of course, all the prices that we've just said are subject to change. But that should be the general idea, kind of give you a feel for what the prices will be like at your local comic book stores or comic book stores sold near you. That's it for this week's comic commentary, guys. Uh, if you guys want, you can follow me on my new Twitter account, Doris Undead, D-O-R-R-I-S, Undead. Getting kind of lonely, just made it. Need, need some followers, guys. Come on, come on. Uh, we'll catch you guys next week. We'll talk about what comes out and what you guys should buy. Later. It's time for the Geek Speak Show Book Club. Uh-huh. Our books are graphic novels. Tell us what your favorites are. Books at thegeekspeakshow.com. And I am about to tell you what my favorite is, at least for this week. I've had a pretty cool one last week. Had to talk to the author. Now, have another author on. My pick is Alaric Monster Hunter. Came out a couple years ago. Uh, it, it, well, I'm not going to tell you all about it because we have the writer, Fred Wee. He's on with us. Fred, welcome to the Geek Speak Show. Thanks, Henry. Good to be here. Good to have you here. So, like I said, I was going to tell him all about it, but since you're here and you wrote it, you go ahead and tell him without spoilers. What is Alaric Monster Hunter all about? Okay. Uh, well, you know, I pronounce it Alaric, but everybody else pronounces it Alaric. So we're going to go with that pronunciation. <laughs> so Alaric, Alaric Tomobimba is a 200-year-old gypsy, and he hunts monsters for bounty. He's a bounty hunter. He hunts down werewolves, vampires, whatever. Uh, but he has a, a dark secret of his own. Uh, well, obviously he has to if he's 200 years old and he's still hunting down monsters. Um, basically, in this novel, he instead of hunting down a, a monster to kill it, he has to save it. Uh, so he has to save a zombie this time who uh, shows up at his doorstep with a business card in his pocket. <laughs> and he's a different kind of zombie. Uh, he can still think. Uh, he can still speak a little bit. And he still has a little bit of his memories left. Um, and it's up to Alaric to uh, figure out how he became a zombie and see if he can save him. Yeah, so like and said, that's basically that's basically the plot line. Although there's subplots running through there with um, a love triangle between Alaric and his 
his one-time wife, I'll just say that, one-time wife and his new girlfriend, uh, a for, uh, gypsy fortune teller. I was going to say, there's a lot of things going on, not just, you know, hunt, hunting the monsters. And out of all the monsters, you know, you could have gone with vampires, which they are in the story also, by the way. No spoiler there. But yeah. uh, why did why did you go with, with a zombie? Uh, uh, I, well, I went with a zombie, well, basically because it's a storyline. Uh, but, uh, you know, zombies, I've always been big on zombies. Um, I, you know, I love George Romero grew up on those kind of movies um love the new type of zombies that move really fast uh i think it was uh the 28 days later 20, kind. 28 days yeah, yeah and 28 days later I, I always get mixed up with the title for that sam bullock movie which is <laughs> alcoholic <laughs> very similar title so i want to make sure i say the right title and uh world war z which is coming out um later this graphic month novel and coming out later this month yeah. at, at the theaters um, so zombies are very big. I, I, I love zombies. They they have this um, they have this something to them that vampires and werewolves and that don't have. And I think it's the maybe the total loss of humanity. And so I wanted to do something that was different, where there was not a total loss of humanity. That the zombie still had some humanity left, which gave him. Um, which gave him an, uh, at least a chance. Yeah. yeah I'm not going to give it away whether he survives or not. Yeah, you guys have to read it to find out the answer to that. Yeah, but I was going to say, you know, we've <laughs> right. had Robert Kirkman on and, and some other people who do zombie stuff. I asked him that question that you just answered, you know, why are zombies so popular today? And and, and I get kind of like what you said, that that it, it, it's us, but it's not at the same time. I mean, you, you, you can, you know, drive a stake through through a vampire because it's, it's, it's a monster. Werewolf, same thing. But, but humans... You know, especially if it's somebody from our family who turned, you know, how can you shoot mom or your son or whoever it is? So I think that that's, you know, it, 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 right. it, it's cool kind of in a way, but at the same time, it's really terrifying that you would have to resort to that. Right. It's, it's you know, um, it, it like you said, it's easy to kill a vampire, I guess, unless it's somebody that you knew in life, but right. that doesn't happen very often. But with zombies, usually zombies do come back. Uh, their their families are usually their first uh, victims. Yeah. And so you're faced with that. Um, what do you do? I mean, they, they still look like them somewhat, and uh, but they've lost all their humanity. Um, so I like the fact that uh, I put a new twist to the the zombie thing with allowing Wasowanko, by the way, that's his name uh, in the novel, the zombie. He's a gypsy as well um, to retain some of his humanity. And he's not changed into a zombie the normal way. Uh, well, you, whenever you use the word normal with, with the word zombie, it, right. it seems a little weird, but um, you know, he's not turned into a zombie by being bitten by another zombie or by a voodoo curse. We'll say the typical or way. like that. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's a better word, a typical <laughs> way. Um, so it's up to Alaric to find out how he was turned into a zombie, which threads into a subplot between him and the uh, king of the gypsies, Carranza Tini. Yeah, and I was going to say, actually, it, 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 the whole book, the whole story, the subplots included, it, it, it's very detailed. So I was, I was wondering what kind of research went, in, went into the book. <laughs> a lot of research went into the book. Um, 
extensive. I, I've been researching uh, gypsy lore and legend, and uh, and their their spoken language, uh, Romani, uh, for years. Uh, gypsies first showed up in uh, a book that I had published in 2000, Night Songs, um, as secondary characters, and I started my research there um, and continued on. And I decided that um, that it would be cool to have a gypsy as the lead protagonist. I don't know if that's ever been done before. Usually gypsies are um, either secondary characters or harbinger, harbing, uh, I can't say that word. Harbingers? Harbingers? No, I can't yeah. say it either. Yeah, harbingers of evil, uh, you know, and this time he's the hero. Although he's a, he's definitely an anti-hero, kind of in the vein of uh, Clint Eastwood's Man with No Name right. uh, kind of thing. But um, a lot of research went into that. Um, and obviously uh, into other areas, too, because I, I had to get into, uh, well, I did a lot of research on zombies as well. And all the different, it, it's, it's amazing once I started into the research, I thought zombies would be very simple. I thought I knew everything there was to know about zombies, but I found out I didn't. <laughs> and there's a lot out there. Um, I actually found some websites, this was really cool, I found some websites, I can't remember the URLs, but if you Google it, you could probably find it, um, where there are stories, like historical stories of people who were zombies that we don't know about, like presidents. Hmm. and uh, inventors and stuff like that that were kept secret by uh, government black ops. Now, obviously, they're they're written and they're put out there as if they're true stories, but obviously they're not. <laughs> Wait, you mean Abraham like, Lincoln wasn't a vampire hunter? Uh, to my knowledge, I, I was a history major in college, and to <laughs> my knowledge, Abraham Lincoln was never a vampire hunter. I could be wrong, though. I've been wrong before. My wife tells me all the time I'm wrong. <laughs> That's what they want us to believe, at least. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so we're talking to Fred, but he's, he's the writer of, a, a, I'll say it like you said now, El- Elric Monster Hunter. It came out a few years ago. Very good book. It does have a, a lot of stories going on. Um, you're a professional writer, writing instructor also, and you've written other books. We'll talk about those in a later uh, when you come back to the show again, but this this time around, we're focusing on the for the book club just on the book that I just finished reading, Alaric Monster Hunter. Um, you, I think you kind of answered it, but when, when you started doing the research on the gypsies, is, is, did you already have the idea for the story, or, or is that when the story for the book started coming together? Uh, I already had the idea for the story uh, because, like I said, I had done I had done gypsies before, um, but never never to the extent as in this book where I needed a lot more research. So um, I picked up research that I had done for Night Songs and then continued it into, into this book. Um, I actually talked to some, some gypsies, uh, found out a little bit about their spoken language because um, there, is, there is Romani in the book, uh, and hopefully I've done it justice. Uh, it's not a written language, so it's very hard. It's very hard to um, to be able to do that. Um, well, well, so you, you fooled me. I mean, it sounds pretty genuine to when, when I read it. I I, I think it is uh, it's for the most part. I mean, I've, I'm sure that literal translations maybe 
um, like if a gypsy looked at it, might say, oh, there's a little problem here, or a little problem there. But right. I think for the most part, I got it right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and since... but, yeah, it was it was very it, it was a very hard book to research um, whenever you're dealing with well with a people that um, still to this day um, are shrouded in a lot of myth and secrecy and under the under the radar kind of lies um, still to this day they live a lot of them live under the radar of what we take for granted you know our numbers are all in the computer and anybody can pull us up and find out anything they want about us yeah in other words they probably don't have a facebook account no <laughs> <laughs> no most of them probably don't or even uh a social security number that's their own anyway <laughs> right and and, and you no know, th- this is called Alaric monster hunter meaning he's not just gonna hunt one zombie is there are there any plans for a follow-up yes um i am into the sequel right now it's called zero sin um and zombies do carry over into it in fact uh well i i don't want to give anything away about how the zombies were how the zombies are made in out in alaric uh but someone finds the finds the way to make zombies and and um He's, Zero Sin is basically a serial killer who believes that he, he who is who with he who is without sin casts the first stone. He believes he is without sin, hmm. um, and he kills prostitutes and people who he feels are polluting the world. Um, and when he comes across this formula to make zombies instead of killing them he decides that he's going to do something even crueler and that is turn them into zombies and so now san francisco is being overrun by <clears throat> by zombies and only alaric can obviously can save them hmm. uh so that's kind of for the next book and then the threads with uh the gypsies and the king of the gypsies and everything that concerns alaric um and his background um, thread through the second uh, book as well. So anything that was left unanswered in the first book will sh- will crop up in the second book. Okay. I'm sure you might have some questions about uh, what happened to Pierza. Yeah. Um, and uh, Wasso comes back into it as well, um, and things like that. And and. Just because, well, I don't want to say that. Well, other things with uh, Alaric's claim to the throne uh, for the king of the gypsies, being the king of the gypsies, huh. that will crop back into it as well. Yeah, no, I know it takes a while with the research and just the writing of it, but, but when do you expect it to be ready? I'm hoping it's going to be ready by early next year. Okay. Uh, actually, out at the stores and stuff by... Um, either, either at the end of this year or early next year after Christmas. Yeah, so you, all of you have plenty of time to read the pick. My pick for the book club this week is Alaric Monster Hunter. It's on our link section. You can go on there and find out all about Fred. If, order the book if you can. Uh, I think it's still available, right, Fred? Um, it is. Well, it is. An, it is available in a limited fashion. Um, 
the the hardcover first edition is out of print right now, but you can still get it from independent sellers. It is going to be coming back out in paperback with a new publisher um, August third. Okay. Okay. So, uh, yeah, you can still get some hardcover editions. They're just a little harder to find right now. Yeah. If you can't find them, you can always go to my website and just email me or go to PayPal and uh, pay for a copy there, and I can I have a few copies left, and I can send you one. But you, I would email me first and say, oh, do you have any you know, copies I can get from you? And it would actually be signed as well. Okay, cool. Even even better. So, so again, go to our link section. It's all on there. I have a link to your website. Uh, thank you, by the way. You did send me a signed copy. Thank you for that. And like I said, you're welcome. I said I did enjoy the book very much. I am definitely looking forward to the sequel. And I'm going to invite you now. Let me have you back in August when it comes out in paperback. We'll talk a little bit more about Alaric and also some of the other works, other other books that you do also because you do more than just Alaric. Uh, so again, yeah. Fred, so that- I just finished a new novel, so we can talk about that, too. Cool. So, yeah, we'll talk about that. So, like I said, thank you again, Fred, for coming on, taking the time to talk to me. Uh, Looking forward to the sequel, and we will talk to you again in August. Great. Sounds great. Thank you, Henry. Okay, so, Mark, what do you have? So, for me, actually, I've got a collection of short stories in the uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's Complete Sherlock Holmes. Now, this is a little bit of a throwback, okay, but bear with me. Sherlock Holmes is, like, to me, the greatest fictional character of all time, next to Batman, both the greatest detectives ever do exist. But uh, the complete Sherlock Holmes that I picked up, I've, I've read every single story by, by uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, rather, um, and, and Sherlock Holmes. Now, it's a collective works of several stories, actually. It's a pretty big book. It's I want to say it's around 700 pages or so, but it's it's pretty addicting. It's I don't know. I, I've seen everything from uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, who was just in uh, the latest Star Trek in the Darkest movie, his BBC rendition of uh, Sherlock Holmes. Big fan of uh, the Sherlock Holmes movies with Robert Downey Jr., but nothing beats the original source material, which is the books. So I know I picked this one up at Barnes & Noble, pretty much any primary bookseller there is. Barnes & Noble's probably your main one. Um, they've got a special collector's edition right now. It's like 25 bucks. It's a leather-bound book. It's really nice and uh, has all the works. So just throwing it out there. That was a big one for me. It's, uh, it's good stuff. Cumberbatch playing Sherlock Holmes. He's actually playing Sherlock Holmes. He doesn't all of a sudden say, actually, my name is Khan. <laughs> no, I'm not over it yet, but okay, the Man of Steel is coming, ready for that. So those are our books. Keep sending yours, and we'll. I promise. I, I keep saying that, but I promise we will. I haven't done it only because we've we've been able to talk to authors and writers, and that, it's always pretty cool when we get to talk to them. We can't do obviously Sir Arthur, Sir uh, Conan Doyle because um, it's a little hard to do without a seance. <laughs> but you know, like we just talked to, to Fred last week. We had uh, Anne. Um, we're going to start, start talking to a lot more writers because they, they want to come on and they have new books coming. So um, I promise, I know I keep saying it, keep on sending them books at thegeekspeakshow.com. I will feature your books sometime this century. So there, it'll be sometime this century. That's the Geek Speak Show Book Club. Tell us what your favorite books or graphic novels are. Books at thegeekspeakshow.com. All right, Mark, so thanks for your comics commentary. You ready for a quickie? As always, always ready. First thing in the morning, that's the first thing I think of. What are we talking about? See why we like him 
He's always <laughs> ready to do whatever it is, no matter what it is. But here it is. Quickie. Big movie coming out this weekend, right? That's true. Yeah. You heard about it? I, I think, think it has, so, too. The great point. I, I think, think it's something so. to do with comic books. Yeah, it's one of those one of those things. I'm not sure. So, Remind me again. What so it? what do you say we talk to some of the uh, actors and the director? I think that would be amazing. That'd be Let's a good do idea. it then. Are you ready? Here's Geek Speak Show Quickie. So if you don't know, welcome back from Krypton. How was your trip? Opening this weekend is Man of Steel, starring Henry Cavill, directed by Zack Snyder, produced by Christopher Nolan. I'm not going to talk to Christopher Nolan this time around. We did that last year for Dark Knight Rises. This time around, Zack Snyder takes the director's chair. Let's kick off with him. We all know General Zod. When you hear that name, you can't help but think, Neil before Zod. I don't think he does that in this one, played by Michael Shannon. But let's start with Zack Snyder by asking him, this Zod, what is, what is so different, without spoilers, what's so different about this Zod than the one we're used to from Superman 2. I didn't want Zod to be just be a villain because you want your villain to be relatable, but he's not written that way either. He's not just a villain. He has a point of view that's pretty solid. You know, he has a pretty... His motiv- the, what motivates him to do the things he does in the movie are completely within the morality of his point of view. You know, if you, he likes Superman, hopefully the audience would be like, I guess if I were him, I might do the same thing. And I think that's what makes him interesting is that you, you are presented with a character that um, really, from his point of view, is striving to do the right thing. You know, but it just happens to be a kind of slightly broken point of view. And again, without spoilers, but... What is so different about this version of Krypton than the one we saw in Richard Donner's version? With Krypton, because we had this, you know, organic movie language that we were going for, um, the danger was like, oh, it's going to feel, it'll just feel like sort of sci-fi Earth. And I was like, no, I don't want, I want it to be exotic, you know, I want it to feel, even though we're shooting it with the same cameras, I want it to feel like we're really literally on another world and an ancient world you know the armor that they wear and the costumes I, I kept telling everyone I want it to feel like they've had these things for generations this is like a, this is an ancient culture that has kind of been without progress for a long time they kind of stuck in a rut for you know protocols and councils and all that stuff is kind of slowing them from you know, making progress where they've kind of reached a place where they don't, progress is not that big of a deal. (laughs) Um, And so, yeah, that was kind of our approach to Krypton. You know, the word iconic comes to mind when we think of Terrence Stamp portraying General Zod in Superman 2. General Zod, going back to him, Michael Shannon plays him this time around. Why why Michael Shannon? Or or how did he, again, without spoilers, how did he handle becoming, stepping into Zod's shoes? You want Zod to be... um, like every character, I guess, but you want, for these super iconographic characters, you really want to believe them, you know? And I think that's the thing that Michael really, for me, every time I'd watch him do his thing, it was always about, like, wow, okay. That's, that's, that's real, like, that's happening. And I think that that, in such an abstract and, and surreal environment and with such an abstract and surreal character as General Zod from the planet Krypton, 
you know, sounds hard when you say it that way, but he's really, he really got, he took all of that that meant, made it better and then gave it back. Talk about shooting the movie on location. I wanted that experience of being out there on location to influence everything, Henry, all of us, design, not be, you know, corralled into shooting one little corner of the set because there was nothing else to film. <laughs> uh, being able to kind of improvise, you know, as we filmed. And I think that's, we did do that. And I think that that shows in the movie. There's a much more organic quality to the film, even though, you know, look, there's huge visual effects in the movie. There's no two ways about it, but there's also some real gritty reality that we were able to get by being on location. Um, and I think that just performance-wise, it just was better for the actors to be really there. Speaking of the actors, the main one, Henry Cavill, how how did he how is he as the Man of Steel? Henry has a big, you know, there's a ton of responsibility. You know, it, it's um, all the contradictions in a weird way that you have to understand. He's physical, but he's not physical. He can fly, but he has to pretend like he they can't. You know, he has. You know, you can all the things he can do that he has to keep sort of under inside, you know, but also not, he's not, doesn't resent that and he's okay with it. Even though he's been sort of persecuted by, by the human race, he still finds good in them, you know, all those things. Uh, that he absorbed that and loved it, you know, in, in a way that I think allows this Superman to be really, Relatable. Thanks, Zach. That's the director of Man of Steel, Zack Snyder. Now, let's move on to General Zod. I've been talking about him now. Michael Shannon plays, steps into the role, like the iconic role, like I said, that Terrence Stamp portrayed in Superman 2. Let's talk to Michael Shannon now. Without spoilers, don't turn away. No spoilers here. So, first thing is, what was it like being next to Henry Cavill as the Man of Steel? Henry is very dynamic and, and charismatic. As, a, as an actor, he's, um, and he's very unflappable. Um, I can't imagine how hard it's been for him, uh, all the work he's done for such a long time, uh, to not get bogged down by that. Um, he's very, uh, I don't know, the camera starts rolling, he hears action, and he just snaps into it. Um, he's obviously thought a lot about it um, and he has a real sense of what Superman or Clark or Cal would do and wouldn't do, would say, wouldn't say um, and his, the, his to him uh, Clark's sense of, of dignity and his sense of values uh, are, are very important and he'll always protect those I think now you obviously have a lot of scenes with Henry Cavill as Kal-El or the Man of Steel you also have a lot of scenes with Jor-El played by Russell Crowe what was that like Russell's Russell's full on I mean the man knows what he's doing you know he's proven it time and time again um, and he's a real he's a real man you know uh, it was intimidating honestly uh when I found out he was going to be doing the part and the first day I met him back when we were training in Naperville uh, 
I was nervous, you know. What motivates General Zod this time around? He uh, rose through the ranks. And um, he's a very fierce, fiercely devoted warrior, fiercely loyal to Krypton. Uh, Krypton finds itself in a bad way, and he's trying to figure out what to do about it, how to solve the problem, how to keep Krypton from disappearing. You know, when Terrence Stamp played General Zod in Superman 2, he wasn't... It, it's an iconic performance. I've said it a couple of times now. But you didn't really see the general side of him, except for that one part with the army. D- again, without spoilers, do you get? Do we get to see more of the general in General Zod this time around? I think anyone who's a warrior uh, and spends that much of their life training to be a warrior and, and uh, following out uh, orders... Uh, once that structure is taken away from them, uh, that society is taken away from them, they still have the uh, the impulse. Uh, I mean, it's a very becomes part of you. You know, uh, whatever you do in your life, if you do it for long enough. Um, how do you just let that go? I'm talking to some of the cast and crew of Man of Steel. Thanks to Warner Brothers and Legendary Pictures for allowing me access to these guys. Director Zack Snyder, we just heard from him. Michael Shannon plays General Zod. Now let's finish up with the man, not of the hour, the Man of Steel. Henry Cavill playing Superman, Clark Kent, Kal-El, last son of Krypton. Henry, how do you see Superman? I mean, he's been done so many times in so many different you know iterations, radio, books, movies, obviously, TV. How how do you, how do you interpret this character? How do you see this character? He is a well brought up farm boy. At the same time, he's a young man or a man who has no clue who and what he is and why he's so different. Um, Which is wonderful, I think, because it has that traditional man at the same time, this guy who's very untraditional. He doesn't know what he is. And then his discovery of what and who he is is something which layers his life with a sense of loss in that discovery Um, and ultimately an outsider at all stages of his life and the only place he's ever made to feel at home is with Martha and Jonathan and otherwise even when he knows who his real parents are and what his real home is he's made to feel even more of an outsider in that now, we just talked to Michael Shannon, plays General Zod. He gets a lot of screen time with Jor-El. You, obviously, get a lot of... You just mentioned him. You get a lot of screen time with Jonathan and Martha Kent. Describe... It, you know, without again, without spoilers. I don't think you have to tell you that. But without spoilers, describe your relationship with your Earth parents. Jonathan and Martha raised him to be the good person. Um, the traditional moral man. And I think... Kevin and Diane brought that to the characters exceptionally well. Um, Kevin had an incredible sort of openness and softness and traditional dad-type way about him uh, when he played the character, and it was absolutely 
it was very easy to feed off. And, and, and the same with Diane. She played the, the caring mother so well, and who was still, there's still that essence of slight fear of Cal or Clark for her, because she knows what he's capable of. And certainly with our interaction when I was playing young Clark, it's, it's what will he do? What will he do constantly? And I thought that was fantastic. When, when I'm older, she, she's totally come to accept it and, I, and she knows I'm a controlled, controlled person. And she, she portrayed that wonderful strength, um, which is where Superman gets a lot of his strength from, as much as it may be genetic. Um, his upbringing, his, his nurturing, if you will, is from the likes of... Jonathan and Martha and the strength which Kevin and Diane brought to those roles makes it so easy to play that kind of strength. Of course, Superman isn't Superman without Lois Lane next to him. Amy Adams plays Lois Lane in The Man of Steel. What was it like working next to Amy Adams? I really like working with Amy. A- Amy's great. Um, she's good fun. She brings a, a, a good energy to set. Um, and on long days, you do need someone to goof around with sometimes. And um, as far as an actress goes, as, as a contrast, when you get the person, Amy, who you can goof around with and have fun with, and then she brings this wonderfully, um, wonderfully sort of powerful yet soft character. Um, and I think the interaction between Amy and Superman is that she is obviously Superwoman um, in, in, in a societal sense. And then she's finally found this one guy who can literally sweep her off her feet. Talk about Zack Snyder as director. His energy is, is always up. And it's, it's fun. Um, as much as the hours are extremely long, Zack keeps stuff interesting. Um, and, and he's excited. And it's cool for him, too. And it, it's cool for us. And that permeates through the entire crew. We are making Superman, for goodness sake. It's... It's seriously cool. And Zach reminds us of that with his attitude and his, his way of being every day. And um, yeah, I, I couldn't have asked for a better director for this job. Absolutely not. He's, he's great. Now, yes, like you mentioned, you're making Superman. Everybody, it's a story that's known around the world. Everybody recognizes Superman from the costume, especially. It's a little different than what we're used to. When you first got into it, you, give me your first impressions on, on the costume when you, when, you, when you first tried it on. Impressions of the costume? I love it. I think it's um, a really good modernization of something very classic. Um, it's got a very alien feel to it, while being recognizable as, as the, the, the suit that we know and love. Um, I, I think it, just, it brings a sort of... A almost like a testosterone energy to something, um, which I think is required in today, in today's sort of movie world because everyone is so used to things being so high octane and, 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 and visceral in the news. Movies are, are, are fantasies, have to be even bigger and better. And I think the suit lends something of that to this. It's something which is exceptionally cool and otherworldly at the same time. That, of course, is Henry Cavill. Heard from Michael Shannon, plays General Zod and director Zack Snyder. The Man of Steel opens up this weekend. If you didn't know that, like I said, welcome back from Krypton. And if you haven't gotten him yet, what are you waiting for? 
not after you listen to the show. Open up a new tab. Get your tickets now. IMAX, 3D, 2D, whatever you want. Just get in the theater and see it. Man of Steel opens up this weekend. Thanks again to Warner Brothers and Legendary Pictures for allowing us access to Henry Cavill, Zack Snyder, and Michael Shannon. You have your tickets, I'm assuming, Mark. I don't, but I'm going to be going at uh, tomorrow's midnight showing with a uh, with a group of people. 3D or regular or what? I kind of want to do the regular. I'm not a big fan of the 3D. I've never been a, a big fan of anything 3D really, except I really enjoyed it in Great Gatsby. Great Gatsby but how about IMAX glasses. 3D? Because <laughs> if 3D is not I, enough, you got I'm IMAX too. IMAX is the way to go. That's if I. Those are like twenty five dollar tickets. So it was so expensive. But I'm not cheap. I'll go for soups. I'll go how, for this. How did you become Rachel's friend? She she everything that has to be seen in 3D. I mean, I mean, you you watch a commercial. It's got to be in 3D or it's not the same. But then again, that's what she wants to do. So, we, we can have different. We can have different tastes. <laughs> so yeah, big duh, buddy. You know, in case you haven't heard, we've talked about it all. Show Man of Steel is coming out this weekend. Before we get out of here, we'll talk about it, of course, in the weeks to come. What do you hope? What are you expecting from Man of Steel? As far as for me, like, I'm not expecting too much, to be honest. But knowing that Christopher Nolan was the producer of the film, for me, I'm just thinking, okay, it, it has to be it has to be a good quality film. Nolan's overseeing it. He's babysitting, as far as I'm concerned. But he's keeping it in line. As of right now, I think Rotten Tomatoes is giving it a 68% from critics. And I want to say an 82 from just users of the site. So I would assume that everyone... Loves it, except critics are being a little bit hard on it. But either way, the only thing that bugs me that I've seen so far of the the Superman like movie is his is his suit. He looks like he's wearing one of those. Uh, I'm reminded of uh, a Christmas story when the the Ralphie kids wearing that bunny suit, that onesie. That's what I'm reminded of. But a big blue suit with a gigantic bulge in front. That's that's the only thing that I would complain about. I was like, you know, when you get rid of those red briefs, like. It the, the it's I can't think of the word maybe the contrast is off. Give him a red belt. You got to have something right in the middle, not red boots to all the way to the shoulders where the cape hooks on. It just looks weird to me. But I'm just being a, a nitpick at this point. Yeah, I get again. You know, I, I've I've liked some of Zack Snyder stuff. Other other things I haven't. But I, I really I really hope he does get this one right because it's been a while since we got uh, the correct Superman from the comic books now. If I understand, this may be based more on the New 52 Superman rather than the uh, what we all know and love, so we will see. But, again, coming up this weekend, Man of Steel, we knew that. So, uh, next week's show, I keep saying it like two, three weeks ago, again, not that we don't like you or anything, but I think Rachel's finally going to come back and she's going to bring her new best friend, Drea Letamendi, who was on with us for the, uh, the Star Trek versus Star Wars show, which I think is also the last time... Rachel was on with us, if I remember correctly. Yes, they won. It's, if you're saying why, it's because of you. You guys, we left it in your hands. You let them win. So they're going to come on and I'll give them their award formally. And then we're also going to talk about something that's a little bit uh, a little bit more serious topic. Uh, we've, like I said, we touched, we touched it on the show not in detail, but just a little bit before, especially when, when Ariel and Rachel and, all, and Louise and everybody, all the geek girls came on. It happened again a couple weeks weekends ago. We went to see After Earth, the fake geek girl issue. Uh, we're going to talk about that with Andrea Letamendi and Rachel. I think she's uh, she shared some of her fake geek girl stories. So that will, that's what the show is going to be about. And of course, we'll give our thoughts on Man of Steel because it'll be out by then. So, like we always say, coming back next week, we'll speak more geek. Henry and the gang will return next week with an all new episode. 
The Geek Speak Show is powered by GeekTyrant.com, MightyBill.com, Ramasscreen.com, ZergNet.com, and Collider.com. Make sure you're subscribed on iTunes. Follow them on Twitter at GeekSpeakShow1. Become a fan on Facebook and watch event coverage on YouTube slash GeekSpeak videos. See you next week. Cheerio. The GeekSpeak Show.